Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove, and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. That's the difference of being in person. You get to see things that not everybody gets to see. And so, uh, welcome to Grave Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. And today we've been going over, uh, we're going to be continuing our series about what's my mission. And today specifically, we're going to be talking about church roles, our church roles. And as we have been really diving deeper into our callings in Christ, we've been learning how God calls each of us to make a difference in the church. And what is the church? It's not just a building, but is people. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And we've been learning and coming to realize that each person is meaningful and is useful in edifying the body of Christ in some way. And today we're going to break into the concepts of specific roles that we can walk in as Christian leaders and influencers of the world. As we also been learning, everyone is an influencer in some way. We always influence. Even if we just show up late to a seemingly normal job, it affects everybody. We have influence. And so I want to start off with this verse because I want us to really clearly understand that God can use anybody. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 through 51, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is entering our first point, God can use anybody. And the reason that this is so powerful is because it's symbolic. When the veil was torn in two, this is, not just a, this is not just a pretty curtain inside the temple. The veil symbolized the separation of God and man. It symbolized this holiness. Holiness means separation. And so when this veil was torn in two, Jesus was, was uh, tearing that separation. He was tearing the veil to where we have this all access to God, to our Creator. There's no longer a separation of holies and the holy of holies. We have this instant access to Jesus. And I believe that this work done on the cross gave access to every human being. Every human being to be able to receive redemption, to be able to receive the gift and power of the Holy Spirit, and to receive the opportunity to work the harvest field for the kingdom of God as a laborer for the harvest. And no matter... No matter their gender, no matter their economic class, no matter their nationality, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their political affiliation, no matter their background or their past, no matter anything else that is defined by this world, Jesus' blood and sacrifice gave an all access to God and the Holy Spirit, and in so doing, made all access for ministry. For ministry. And... The reason that I'm elaborating on this is because this simple statement, God can use anybody, is something that we struggle to believe for ourselves. We constantly struggle with the concept that God can use me, that God can use you. We can believe that God can use other people, but it's hard to believe that God could use me. And on top of that, we... We look for almost any reason to discredit ourselves, to disqualify ourselves. Y'all feel what I'm saying? 
And there's even times where people try to use certain uh, situations or even scriptures to disqualify other people. And I'm going to go over a very hot topic within uh, certain Christian realms that I want us to, to look at as an example. Because this single example, as we unpack this, I believe that it also unpacks every other kind of category. It, it, this singular topic unpacks every other kind of category. So if we can understand after uh, going through this that God can use anybody, even this situation, then we can understand that God can use anybody regardless of any situation. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so the verse that, that has so many pe- that has a lot of people who would argue against this, God can use anybody. The single verse that that would eliminate this all-access belief that I'm declaring to you is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. When Paul says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Some of y'all just got mad at it. <laughs> so, this single verse, this single verse, I've heard this single verse repeated and even people left our church because Lauren, my wife, is, is labeled as co-pastor. She's very involved with the church. She's not just the pastor's wife. She is co-pastor. She is Pastor Lauren. And because of this verse, people have even left our church. And using a single verse, I want us to understand that using a single verse to make an entire doctrine using a single verse to make an entire doctrine that limits the inclusion of God's work, in my opinion, is incredibly shallow. It's a very shallow way to analyze doctrine, to use a single verse. And this single verse has been used to belittle women's leadership within churches and even within the world. It has been used to discredit women who have worked and sacrificed for the ministries that they lead. And people have, who have, uh, have used this verse, people who have brought no one to Christ, people who have not brought one single person to Christ, have used this verse to try to discredit and accuse women who have brought hundreds, thousands, and even millions of people to Christ simply because they're a woman. They've been accused of being false teachers. I really believe strongly that we are known by our fruit. I really believe strongly that we are known by our fruit. And I want us to use the laws of hermeneutics. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a method in which studying and understanding Scripture. And we can analyze the historical background of this setting. We can analyze the author, uh, who the author is and who he is speaking to. And we can use the entire Bible to find precedent, to find inference, and to find unity to better understand this verse. Because if we're going to really say that this single verse, that uh, uh, people have used it to say that women cannot teach at all, women cannot be pastors, that's a very, very limiting thing. So let's understand that Paul is the author of this verse. Paul is the author, and he is writing specifically to Timothy, his mentee, his disciple. And Timothy, at the time, is pastoring the church of Ephesus. He's pastoring the church of Ephesus. 
When Paul writes this, he is not talking the entire church. He's talking to just Timothy, who is the leader of the church. And we see that Timothy isn't just leading a normal church like we would imagine. It's not the kind of church that we see today. He's leading a church in Ephesus in the times in which the people who were recently converted were being converted from extreme paganism. And when we think of paganism, it's not just this idea of like having a statue and bowing down. No, we're talking about people whose previous acts of worship and behavior included sex orgies, incest, murder, even murdering of their own parents, all levels of sexual immorality, slave trading, aggressive violence, and more. In fact, later, it's believed that Timothy was martyred, that he was killed in the city of Ephesus, that he was killed by being clubbed to death. Why, you may ask? For simply preaching the good news? For specifically protesting the, the sexual orgies that were used as worship to the goddess Artemis. So he's saying, like, this isn't right. <laughs> like, oh, no, you ain't going to be telling me. We have a good thing going here, Timothy. Why don't you just back off? They clubbed him to death for protesting the sex orgy of worship. So we can understand that this young man, he's young, that he's in deep. And it explains why just ch the chapter before this moment, Paul encourages him to keep fighting the good fight. Paul's constantly encouraging Timothy, saying, don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. And see, I believe that all of this background is valuable in understanding that some of the premise and the way that Paul is talking to Timothy. It gives a better understanding of how he's talking to Timothy because not only is Timothy in the thick of a very dangerous and perverse society, but he's also dealing with the inner church politics rising up within the new converts. I mean, if you've ever worked at a place before, where a person younger than you, younger than most of the employees there, was made manager. Have you not personally witnessed how their leadership is belittled just because of their age? So now imagine, Timothy is supposed to be leading the church. I've had people leave our church just because I'm too young in their eyes. But hey, it's not the year of the car, it's the miles driven. Am I right, Daniel? <laughs> See, He's having to deal with all these inner church politics rising up. Timothy is most likely younger than many of them and can come across as timid and inexperienced. Remember, it's to Timothy in which Paul writes to him within the same book. He specifically says, do not let people look down on you because you are young. So this whole book is this guidance and encourage, this encouragement to Timothy as a young leader. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And now, on top of all this, in this pagan city, a lot of the women who were being converted were most likely previous pagan priestesses. They would lead in the worship of these, these other gods, which we just found out a lot of it included all types of sex orgies and sexual conduct, some crazy stuff. And they've been doing it for a long time. Time, probably longer than Timothy has even been a believer. And now they are being converted and they used to lead in the pagan worship and revelry. So naturally, just naturally, 
Whenever someone is in a previous place of leadership and goes to a new location, they have this natural tendency to be a leader, don't they? It's really hard for business owners to go back to working a corporate job. Once you own your own business, once you're leading your own job, leading your own business like that, it's really hard to go back to this style of listening to somebody else tell you what to do. And so imagine how these people, as they were, uh, as they were being converted and coming to this church, that those who once led this false, false worship of pagan gods began to passively usurp Timothy's authority by undermining his leadership. And again, most of, the, most of the, the, the people that would lead those pagan worship activities were women. And so they're being converted. It's naturally easy to usurp someone's leadership passively, even unintentionally. Not to mention, I mean, old habits can kind of die hard, right? Wouldn't you imagine that as these new female uh, worship leaders were entering in, who led specific worship of sexual, sexual acts, that they would also come with a type of sex appeal? That even as they were, would, try to, would maybe even try to persuade Timothy or someone else, that it would just be kind of like an old habit that would die hard of that sex appeal coming with them. I say all of this because the reason that I would sooner believe in, in Paul giving Timothy this practical advice rather than him instituting a, a doctrine is because of the precedent and unity of the rest of Scripture. See, I see this as a moment as Paul trying to just uh, literally give quick advice to Timothy by not giving an opportunity for this trouble to happen in the first place. He's saying, look, just... I, I don't even let the, the, I don't let women do it when I go because of the way it happens with the men, because of their, their previous occupations, etc. I'm just creating this possibility of if this is what he's saying, why would, why would Paul just make this quick advice? Because he cares more about winning souls than worrying about church politics. We see in another instance in the book of Acts, Paul is adamant all throughout the New Testament that one is not saved by circumcision. In fact, he even tells people that they, he, he writes saying, I wish those people would mutilate themselves instead of pushing that people have to be circumcised in order to be saved. He goes, he's so adamant about it. But in the book of Acts, it says that he circumcised Timothy. Why would he do that if he believes so strongly against it? Because he just didn't want to deal with the BS. He's like, rather than having to argue with every single person, let's just cut this out so we can focus on more important things, like bringing people to Christ. And again, I'm, I'm leading this idea because I, it doesn't fit with the unity of the rest of Scripture. It is, is more comprehensive for me to believe this is what style Paul's writing to Timothy rather than him making a universal doctrine because of what other Scripture says. Okay, that is when you, that's going from shallow to deep. Look at what it says in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams, your young men will see visions, and even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
See, even in this scripture, he's taking away the, the idea of age. He's taking away the idea of gender, of being any kind of separation. He's even taking away the idea of economic class. Look at what else it says. That's the Old Testament. Look at the New Testament. It says Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28. For you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male what? nor female. For you all you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, I'm expounding more and more because these verses completely affirm the inclusiveness of Christ's calling that we are all baptized in, as one in the body of Christ. That there's not this separation by any kind of category within this world. And if this wasn't enough, there's another reference there's another reference in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Notice how I'm comparing not just all moments in the New Testament, but I'm giving both from Old Testament and New. We see the heart of God. It is consistent. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, there's a woman named Deborah who was the ruling judge as well as the prophetess of the people of Israel at the time, making her both the secular governmental leadership as well as the spiritual leadership at the same time. She was used by God in great ways to bring about deliverance of God's people who were oppressed. A woman, as a leader, who, is, who in this book is telling a man what to do. And even when he doesn't listen to the, to the detail of what she says, God says, okay, well, you will no longer get credit for the victory, but it will be given to a woman instead. And if this is all not enough, the very first person that Jesus revealed himself to resurrected was Mary Magdalene, a woman who he commissioned. He tells Mary Magdalene to go and tell the other disciples, including Peter, that I've been raised from the dead, that I'm resurrected. So what is that message? It's literally the message of Jesus Christ. All of our faith is based and founded on the resurrection of Christ. She's the very first evangelist. She's the very first person that Jesus, as a resurrected body, tells and commissions to go and tell the good news to, uh, to everyone else, to the other disciples, which included men. And the reason that I'm expounding so much is because I can do the same for any other category. See, it's not just about woman or man, any category we could go over and we can see that nothing is stopping you from being used by God. This is the whole point of this dialogue is to show you that nothing is stopping you from being used by God. Any kind of insecurity, any kind of precepts that you have about yourself, there's nothing that is stopping you from being used by God. And everyone is called by God to make a difference. No, and no one is, is overlooked. No one is left out. Each person has undeniable power and potential to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Y'all feel me? So if, if we can catch this, now we can go on to this idea of church roles. But we have to believe and understand 
this very part. And now let's go into this next verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And it says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, the, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. See, within this next point, we're going to talk about owning your ministry taking responsibility for your calling, owning it, own your ministry. And while each role that, that we just kind of glance at, each role listed serves a specific purpose of the church. All the ones that are listed right now, all of them, even though they're all different, they, all of them are used to effectively empower the individual believer. Did y'all catch that? See, we, we get so highlighted mentality sometimes where we just like want to highlight the part where it says uh, evangelists, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and we only read that. I've only really heard this verse talked about in the point of, oh, this is where we find the five-fold ministry, the five different folds of ministry. You can either be an apostle, a pastor, evangelist, blah, blah, blah. But see, we skip this very, very meaningful part because... Because as it, as it is talking about these five different folds of ministry, its folds are specifically for the purpose of equipping and building up the individual believer for the work of ministry. Did y'all catch that? Let's, let's just look back real quick. It says, he gave some apostles, etc., etc. And then after teachers, it says, for the equipping of the saints, that's, it. that's every believer, we're all saints of God because we're all made holy by Jesus. We're saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So even all of these roles listed, even though they're offices of ministry within the church, the whole purpose is to empower the individual believer to do what? Individual ministry. It doesn't mean that ministry always happens inside the church. We've been talking about how ministry could be just, just praying for a friend. It could be just listening to a friend. It could be just something so simple. But we see that these roles are specifically for each individual to be empowered and built up. And so if we understand that, then it, it, it obligates us. It pushes us to own our responsibility to be ministers of God in some way. And I would, even, I would even say that every believer has a specific gifting and a role that builds the body of Christ in some way. Every single believer. Every single believer. And you might think, well, not me. Not everyone. I'll tell you this. That I've seen, you, you all are lovely people, okay? I know that everyone has insecurities and doubts about themselves, but you are all lovely people. I truly enjoy your company. I, en I enjoy talking to you. You're great. I've met some real dirtbags within ministry, okay? I'm talking about some really egotistical jerks that minister, who have horrible hearts about ministry, and yet they somehow make a difference. It blows me away. In fact, 
Paul talks about this. He says, while I'm in prison, there are some who are only ministering for their own pride, for their own, only to spite me. He's saying that they're only sharing the gospel to spite me. Their motives are all wrong. And then he says, but I rejoice because either way, whether their intentions are good or bad, at least the gospel is being preached. So he's, he's saying that our motives sometimes don't even matter. It doesn't matter if someone's uh, great or not, that the simple, the simple sharing of the gospel, the sharing of the, the power of Jesus is so powerful that, that it, it doesn't matter sometimes the vessel in which it is being shared, that the Holy Spirit is able to surpass that. Y'all feel what I'm saying? The Word of God is that powerful. It makes me feel great because now I can understand that I'm really just a waiter that everything I share is something that God has cooked up and I'm just serving the food. If you don't like it, it's not my fault. I just want to give the best kind of customer service that I can. But how many of y'all have had great food but bad customer service? So understand that you have a specific gifting. You have a specific role that builds the body of Christ in some way. And this clarifies the fact that every believer is called to ministry in some way. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job and change your career path. It means that within your life, it means that within your life, you have this unhinged opportunity to be completely intentional and prayerful about God using you in your current life and day to day. You can be completely intentional and prayerful about how God uses you and is able to use you in the day-to-day. -day. While some of you may now have a new perspective of ministry opportunity in the ordinary, there's also some of you who may, you may even begin to see a calling to do something incredibly unique. Incredibly unique. Either way, your eyes should be open to the fact that you, that now, when you grow your faith and knowledge of God, you, must, you, you have to have yourself open to the idea that when you grow your faith and knowledge of God, you're not just doing it for yourself. You're not just doing it for yourself anymore, but for those who you might minister to. And you are making yourself a more proper vessel to relate God's Spirit and message. And every time that you go to church, it is now for you and for others. When you have this understanding that you are a minister of Christ in some way, every time that you build your faith, you're building it for yourself and you're building it for others. You go to church, you build yourself up and you're doing it for others. Every, every time that you pray, it is for you and for others. Every time that you keep your integrity, it is for you and for others. And you will now guard your soul and your heart for your own sake as well as for the people that you might minister to. And while at first glance, it's like, man, that's kind of a lot of responsibility. <laughs> Let me tell you this. The exchange is incredibly beautiful. The exchange is incredibly beautiful because in my experience, everything becomes a double blessing when you realize and accept the responsibility of being a minister as a believer. Again, I'm not talking about being a profession of minister I'm talking about how we are all called to be ministers in some way. To share Jesus, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to share the love of God in some way. When you accept this responsibility, 
It really becomes a double blessing because for me, I loved reading scripture before. I loved learning about God when I did it just for me. That's how I gave my life to Christ, just by learning about Jesus, learning about God, reading scripture. And I was fascinated that I, I, I deeply loved reading scripture. But when I accepted my ministry, what I learned seemed to be much more impacting. What I learned, the depth of my study went deeper as I searched for answers of questions that weren't even my own. Even this whole first point, I, I, think about all this first point in which I expounded on the ability of a woman simply being able to minister. For me, that was never really a big topic. I've never really had a problem with that. But it wasn't until I started having to answer this question for other people that I researched and studied the Word of God to find answers that were for questions not even my own. And now I, I got to learn so much more about God because I've allowed myself to accept the responsibility of finding out an answer for someone else. See, my, my, even just studying Scripture become, became a double blessing. and became that much sweeter and deeper for me. And the, the, so my blessing was found in my, my blessing is found in my responsibility. Do you remember the story of Joseph? It constantly says, 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 <laughs> it constantly says that Joseph was blessed, that God blessed Joseph. You remember that? says it like all throughout this, this, this story of Joseph. But every time it said that is when Joseph received more responsibility. Sold as a slave to Potiphar, but God blessed him and he was put in charge of all of Potiphar's house. Like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait. He was just given more responsibility. How is that a blessing? See, he's put, he was thrown in the prison, but God blessed him and he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. See, our blessing is found in our responsibility. And I understand that more than ever now that I have kids. <laughs> They're little blessings. See, I, it's all summed up in this, this idea of responsibility because there's so much blessing that comes within the responsibility. The same goes for my prayer life, my worship, even my purity. Accepting the call of ministry strengthened my own faith. It truly abundantly blessed my faith and so it will be true for you when you decide to accept the responsibility of your calling. Because when you accept the responsibility of your calling, you're accepting the blessing of your calling. So now let's close on one last point. We just need to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 through 31. It says, Now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I'm going to show you a far better way. Within this, pa this passage, I want us to understand finding your vibe. It's like throw out all the textbook words and just really get down to it. Like, let's just find our vibe. Find your vibe when it comes to this idea of ministry. Because often we think that we have to just do what somebody else is doing. And 
When it doesn't work the same way, we get discouraged. Like, not everyone is called to preach a message, to teach a message. Have you ever heard someone teach a message at church that really shouldn't have been teaching a message? Some of you are like, right now. <laughs> See, I've heard some people share a message. I'm like, dude, like, this is horrible. They have a great heart and everything, but they just, like, they just don't got it. It's like someone, there's being, I'm not, I was not raised in church, but after being in church for some time, I realized that not everyone should be a part of the worship team. Myself included. I was once put on a choir. I was told not to clap out loud because I don't have rhythm. They told me clap like this. See, that was not my calling. That wasn't my role. That wasn't my vibe. I had a great heart, but it was not my vibe. And see, that's what I'm talking about right now is that we need to really, when it comes to ministry, you got to find your vibe. We're all supposed to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus in some way. We're all supposed to share the love of God in some way. But finding your vibe will help you to learn how to be more effective and efficient as you do it. And a lot more enjoyable too. So, Let's break down these different branches of ministry described. Within this context, the titles that are given in order are being placed in a ranked level of authority. When it says first, second, third, and then it just lists, lists the rest, is giving a ranking of authority. And it's prescribing an order to the church to give a clear understanding to the people who is in charge, especially if there's ever a disagreement. If you read through the epistles, we see all the times in Paul's letters to the churches that there's constantly disagreements among the church. Different leaders rising up and trying to, to cause church splits and usurp the person in charge of the leadership. And so he's prescribing a type of leadership to, to stick to. And as we go over these rules, look for categories that you feel that you identify with the most in order for it to help guide you in finding your niche your vibe in ministry. So first are the apostles. These are people who are sent on a specific mission to do something for God. Most times it is seen in the aspect of people who plant or oversee a church, people who start a ministry. They are the ones that create and grow from the ground up. They create and grow from the ground up. They are the voyagers of the faith, and create and lead the path for others. They're starters, doers, natural born leaders. Some key words is the thoughts of action, being, starting, innovating. These are innovators. With the lack of resources, they make things happen. This is the idea of apostles. Then it says, second are the prophets. And these are the people who make known the word of God and this often involved calling people back to obedience to God. They are principle-driven people. Principle-driven people, which often can often make them loners in the world. Can people, they're people who value principle even more than relationships. And truth and, authenticity, uh, truth and authenticity matter more than the emotions of action. They care about the heart. And prophets have incredible discernment and high sensitivity to God's voice and leading. They point in the right direction as a guide for others on the path. 
They, they give clarity and illuminate. While sometimes they are loners, they are still valuable and resources for guidance, knowledge, and direction. Some key words for the idea of prophet is, is truth, correctors, guides. Now third are the teachers. These are the people who strengthen the church by making complicated things sound simple. They share their insights with more with they share their insights with others in order for others to better understand their own role and relationship with God. Teachers are compassionate and often enjoy fellowship with the people that they teach. They truly feel fulfilled when they see others grow and they help the body to know how to move in the day-to-day of traveling along the path. Some key words is compassion, strengthen, and fellowship. So these three roles, again, these are the first three I listed. I expounded the most on these because of the, the rank position of them, but the other roles listed, while on, while they might not be assigned a ranking, they're still incredibly valuable and necessary for the body for Christ. So I'm going to list them while briefly describing each of them, so that you can get a clear image of them and your possible connection to these different roles. So it talks about evangelists. Evangelists. These are those who have the burning desire to share Jesus with others. They're always inviting others to church. No one has to tell them. They see people unbiasedly. These people see others truly unbiasedly as they get genuinely excited over even just one soul being saved. And you might be thinking that these are all just like spiritual giftings. How do I connect with that? To give you a concept, these are great people for marketing. They're people that have this, this innate nature that, to connect with an individual. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Next is miracle workers. These are those whose first instinct is to pray to God for God to move. Their first instinct is to just pray. I'd even argue that like as spiritual as all these roles are, it's like just to give an example, sometimes apostles' first reaction isn't to pray. Their first reaction is to take action. What, what do I need to do to fix this? While miracle workers, truly, the first thing they think is like, we need to pray. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And they believe God at his word and don't hesitate in bringing problems to him to solve. Great people for spirituality and morale. They're great people to see hope in, in, the, in darkness, to see light in the darkness. Next are healers. These are those who are hospitable and consciously think of the needs of others. I feel like Lauren is an amazing person like this, that connects with this. She, she's always, like when people come to my house, I don't even think of offering them water. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be there for 30 minutes and Lauren will get home like, did you get any water? And they're like, no. <laughs> I don't even think about it. This is the first thing she thinks about is the needs of others. See, they, they consciously think about the needs of others. They're great people for customer service. Next are helpers. These are those who are always willing to lend a hand, even when they don't know how to do what you need them to do. I really identified with a helper uh, most of my life, especially after I gave my life to Christ. I would offer my help for things I didn't know how to do. I became a jet engine mechanic, and I have no mechanical skills. <laughs> 
Think about that next time you're on a plane. <laughs> See? <laughs> the helpers are just, they're so willing to give of themselves for whatever it is. And they take pride in their work and they give their best. These people show up and are great for any service or direct assistance. Next are administrators. They are people who bring everything into an orderly format. Sometimes things just happen successfully organically. It just all happened to work out great. Well, administrators, they have this, this natural ability to be, put everything orderly so that that success can be repeated. And they see in analytics, and they're great for administration roles. <laughs> great for planning, administrator gives. That was funny in my head, but whatever. And finally, just one of these roles listed, and again, I don't think that it's limited to all just these li listed. I believe that there's so, so many roles and giftings for the church. These are just some listed here. Finally, the ones listed is speaking in tongues. And this is a very unique role because it is the only gift that, it is, that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 14.4 as being for the benefit of edifying oneself rather than for others. Unless, of course, they, they have the gift of interpreting tongues. Then it is used to edify the church. But it is, even with that, it is arguably still for the church because it is for the purpose of building one's own faith. Well, their faith, in turn, is used to build up the church. Everything that we do is for others. Why would oneself need their own faith built up if it was not for building up others? Y'all feel what I'm saying? Even for me, when I pray in tongues, it's really because I'm getting ready for a message. I'm really trying to build my own faith to pray for someone else, to do something for someone else, to serve someone else. It's to give me encouragement so I can go out and do what I need to do. So even with that, it's arguably still for the betterment of the church. And with all of this being said, as we went over these different topics, I love how Paul ends this, this passage. She says, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? He goes down each one saying, all do not do this, do they? All do not do all of them, do they? He says, all this to get us an understanding that we are supposed to work together. And I feel like even in to today's American church society, we still have this concept that we're lone wolves, that we're supposed to do it all on our own. I, don't, I feel like almost every church I've, I've served at, minister at, there's been one of the main leaders that talk about being a five-fold minister. What that means is being one person who does all five-folds ministry. That they're both the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist. They, they, they just do it all. And here in the same context, Paul's saying, we're not supposed to all do all. That's, that we are supposed to operate as the body of Christ. Yet we consistently, our church leaderships have consistently just carried the load themselves. How much more could we do if we started realizing the potential of accepting responsibility of ministry ourselves? Think about it for a moment. If it wasn't just the pastor of the church doing X, Y, and Z, but that all were doing ministry to some capacity in their lives, how much we could do for the kingdom of God? I say all this because... Finding your purpose aligns with your church role, but we're going through different seasons in life. We go through different seasons in life in which we 
we may hold different roles and fulfill different purposes. See, multiple purposes can be found and fulfilled. Sometimes we think that we just have one purpose in life. It's just not true. There's so many purposes that we're able to find in this life and fulfill. Just think about for a moment. When I had my first baby, and I might accidentally had my second and third kid, but <laughs> see, each kid brought a new purpose. Is that my only purpose? No. It's one of my many purposes. See, when you have a child, it's almost the first time that you, so many people have a realized purpose. A realized purpose. But the truth is, we have many purposes in this world that we fulfill and pick up over the course of our life. And there may be times where you hold one, only one role. But there are other times where you hold multiple roles. But no matter the role, the purpose is always the same. It's for edifying the church, edifying the body of Christ, edifying one another. A role, our purpose is always for others. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And when he says, earnestly desire the greater, the greater gifts, what he's saying is he's simply saying to continuously look at ways that you can better edify others. He's saying continuously look at how you can engage and impact people. To never just impact one person like, I'm done, I'm fulfilled. Saying continuously look in ways you can edify others. And this, all that Paul is saying, that edification is best seen in love. Truly. Me, so often, me or Lauren will minister and we're doing ministry. And you know how it's received? It's seen in love. So often people tell us, like, man, you guys are so grateful. You, you just love people so well. And it's like, we're really just ministering. But see, that ministry is seen in love. And so as we, we could make this so much more complicated in trying, let's do a spiritual gift test and, and fulfill all of our different roles and spend 20 minutes figuring this out and that out. But see, it really can all simply be done in love. If you have this concept that your mission is to love others, and all of this stuff that we went over today is really just understanding how you can love others. Finding the best way, the most effective way in which you love others. See, that's really what it is. Because we are meant, our purpose is meant to love and serve one another just as we love and serve God. Why? Because God first loved us. And if you're here today, and throughout this whole message, maybe you're still, you're, you're thinking about the moment I said at the beginning, where it says that when Jesus let out this loud cry, and that it tore the veil in the temple in half. And you're thinking about that all-access moment. That moment where everything that separated humanity with God was was taken away. And if you've never had a moment where you've made a decision to enter into that place with God, as I'm talking about love, you've never really made a, a conscious decision to receive that love of God for yourself by having a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with your own Creator, and you want to do that today, I want everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. If that's you and you want to do that today, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. 
see all your hands. And so if that was you, I want you to just have your own conversation with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have an authentic conversation with Jesus yourself and acknowledge that He died on the cross for your sins and the sins of the world, acknowledge that He's the Son of God, acknowledge that He rose from the dead, that that's all it takes to start a relationship with Him. Even the word repentance isn't this mean, filthy word that, we just, that, that people yell out of microphones on the street. But that it is a word that is simply translated to to change direction. And that is what that moment is, having that conversation with Jesus. It's a, a moment where we were walking not with God, but we're changing directions to walk with God. And everyone's journey looks different. But that's really what it is, is you're changing directions and the Holy Spirit will guide you from this point forward in living whatever, living the life to live for Christ, what that looks like. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation with yourself. With that being said, if for the rest of you, as they're having that conversation, if you're here, and you have realized this responsibility of ministry that we all have, and you've realized it for yourself today, and you're ready to simply say, okay, Jesus, okay, Holy Spirit, I want to be willing. I may not have everything figured out. I don't even know where to start, but I'm willing. If you, that's you today, and you're willing, I want you to raise your hand. See all your hands. So God, right now I pray for the Holy Spirit to fall upon your people. These people that rose their hands today, these people that are willing, I pray that your Holy Spirit will impact them and empower them right now in this moment, that they would feel a tangible presence over their soul, that they'd feel a tangible presence from their head down to their toes, across their back, that they would just feel you in their lives and that you would increase confidence and boldness for them because you have certainly called them. You have certainly called them and you will use them. And I just pray for the Holy Spirit to begin to do the work in their lives that you'd make them sensitive to your voice, that you give them eyes to see and ears to hear, and that you finish what you started. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church. Top Church.